You may know Jackson Pollock, the painter famous for his iconic drip paintings. But what do you know about his wife, artist Lee Krasner? On Death of an Artist, Krasner and Pollock, the story of the artist who reset the market for American abstract painting, just maybe not the one you're thinking of. Listen to Death of an Artist, Krasner and Pollock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the VSIN Bet Center, hour number two. Brady Cannon and Adam Burke with you on a Friday night in Las Vegas. It's Saturday in a lot of parts of the country, Adam. Saturday evening, Saturday morning, whatever you want to call it, the witching hour. But we are here in Las Vegas in the West Coast time zone in fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada, at the Circa Resort and Casino. And the time has come to talk a little baseball, my friend. It's really getting down to the nitty-gritty. I want to say, what is there, about 16 to 18 games left in the season now? And let's go over some of these results from Friday night in some of the marquee games where it featured teams involved in a pennant race. And we'll start with the Dodgers at the Reds. The Dodgers, of course, have been winning all kinds of games, maintaining pace with the San Francisco Giants in the National League West. They finally fall to the Cincinnati Reds, who have really been struggling, trying to maintain position in that National League wildcard race. The Reds get the Dodgers in Cincinnati today, 3-1. to one, And that is coupled with the Giants' victory over the Braves. And what a dramatic victory it was. The Braves scored three runs in San Francisco in the top of the ninth inning to take a 5-4 lead over the Giants. The Giants, in the bottom half of the ninth inning with two outs, get a home run to tie it. And of all people, Kevin Gaussman, their all-star pitcher, Hits a sacrifice fly in the bottom of the 11th to beat the Braves 6-5. to So the San Francisco Giants now have a two-game lead in the division over the Dodgers. And this is a good move for the Reds because they move up in the wildcard race. All kinds of things, all kinds of moving parts in the National League. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And 
Yeah, the nice thing for the Dodgers is they've got Max Scherzer on the bump tomorrow. Oh, so, my so they may go right ahead and, and get that game back. <laughs> Pencil uh, that one in. The, the Giants, a small underdog here against Atlanta for tomorrow's game. It's Charlie Morton and Alex Wood there in that one. So the Dodgers may go right ahead and get that game back. But, you know, again, all these games just of critical importance with those good division races there. So, you know, it's one of those things where every single day matters. You know, oh, and, yeah. and, and it's always interesting, too, to see. Obviously, the Reds are still very much in it, and so are the Braves. But something you and I were talking about during the break is how some of these teams that are either setting up their playoff rotations mm. or aren't playing for anything, how they're really going to dictate what happens, specifically with the wild card race. Yeah, and, of course, the Milwaukee Brewers, as you were alluding to this, finishing up the season with the Los Angeles Dodgers. And you would think the Dodgers, with just a two-game deficit in the National League West, you would think they're going to be battling the Giants to the bitter end, but Milwaukee, uh, they've got a big lead here. They've got a 12-and-a-half game lead over the St. Louis Cardinals, who, by the way, have moved into second place in the National League Central and also are currently in the second wildcard spot, St. Louis continuing to roll. But Milwaukee has no pressure uh, from the Cardinals right now, currently in second place. So who knows what they're going to do with Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns in a big series against the Dodgers. Maybe they throw them a couple innings or something just to keep them warm, but... Certainly not going to want to see a complete game, I imagine, out of one of those guys with the playoffs coming up on deck. No, absolutely not. Real quick, I misspoke. The Giants are favored, minus 130 tomorrow against the Braves at home. Uh, But, you know, the Dodgers play the Brewers in that first weekend of October, that last series. And that could be really interesting, as you said. You know, I mean, maybe Brandon Woodruff is slated to pitch, and he winds up throwing an inning or two just to stay sharp. Maybe Corbin Burns, same thing. Also, for the Brewers here, they won't push a guy like a Devin Williams. They won't push a guy like a Josh Hader for back-to-back appearances or anything like that. So when you sort of handicap the schedules for the Giants and the Dodgers here throughout the rest of the season, it looks like the Dodgers have a more difficult schedule because they've got that series left with the Brewers, but the Brewers just may not be interested in those three games, and that could have a significant impact on that NL West race. So Always fun to kind of look at those different scenarios. The Dodgers are currently a minus-120 favorite to win the division at DraftKings. The Giants at even money, plus-100. And what's also interesting is the Giants will finish up their season with three games against the Padres. They just split a four-game set with San Diego, and the Padres could very well be in the thick of a wild-card race. So it's not like they're going to be with a frame of mind like the Brewers, who are just trying to get to the postseason and rest people, the Padres are going to be battling. They're currently a game and a half back in the wild card. The Cincinnati Reds a game back, and then St. Louis in that second spot. Of course, it's going to be the Dodgers or the Giants. Whoever loses that division will get the first wild card spot. Yeah, for sure. And and this is important. I mean, these are things that you want to take a look at because the Giants and the Dodgers have no remaining head-to-head games. Mm-hmm. So if you're handicapping this division race or continuing to look at the playoff futures market, you certainly want to take a look at who these teams have left remaining. You know, both the Giants and the Dodgers play Colorado, both play Arizona. You know, those are games that they should take full advantage of, but they don't have those head-to-head meetings. So it's going to wind up being what happens in those other games and so for the Dodgers like I said they've got that series with the Brewers that looks daunting but it may not be and if the Padres happen to fall back out of the wild card race maybe they're kind of demoralized a little bit or let's say they get eliminated maybe you know in that first game if the Giants beat them something like that maybe they they don't show up the next two days so for sure a lot of moving parts and a lot of things that you kind of have to look at that are not even related to the Dodgers and the Giants rosters themselves.
The Padres fell to the St. Louis Cardinals earlier this evening, 8-2 to two the final there. The Cardinals get it done, and I mentioned they move into that second wildcard spot in the National League. They've really been beneficiaries of how poorly the Padres and the Reds have been playing as of late. Let's look at the Phillies and the Mets, and quite a series here representing the National League East. The Phillies were leading this game most of the way. The Mets really made a push late in the game, but couldn't get it done to tie it up in the bottom of the ninth. Four to three, your final there. Uh, Philly gets the victory, and they are now just two and a half games behind the Atlanta Braves, who, of course, fell to the San Francisco Giants, as we mentioned. Now, the Mets, unfortunately, with that loss, they moved to six games back in the division. And I think at this point, Adam, that's probably too far back. Yeah, I think so, too. A lot of talent here, but... You know, a lot of wasted opportunities as well. And, of course, injuries played a massive role. I mean, Jacob deGrom missing a yeah. good chunk of the season. They Just had a, a period... shame how well he was doing, too. I mean, we missed out on that as fans. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, what he's doing right now is, is I mean, we're talking about performance levels that we haven't seen since the dead ball era, yeah. you know, with what deGrom's been able to do. And also, too, the Mets, I mean, in the month of May, they were missing virtually two-thirds of their starting lineup. So that's something to keep in mind for the 2022 season, where the Mets were very unlucky from an injury standpoint this year. Maybe you find some futures equity and value on them for next year. I will say this. I'm rooting for Philadelphia. I've got them plus 9, I don't know if it's 9-1 to one or 9-25 to win the East. So I'm certainly hoping they can find a way to do it here. But the Braves host both the Mets and the Phillies with uh, six of their remaining games. So it looks like the Braves should be able to win this division. They don't really have any excuses if they don't. So I don't know if there's a whole lot of you know futures equity in this division right now. Looks like the Braves are going to win it, and then, of course, we'll see what happens once they get to the postseason. Well, Johnny Avello at DraftKings thinks they're going to win it, too. They are minus 425 to win the National League East. The Phillies currently at plus 350. I believe our colleague Wes Reynolds has a ticket on Philadelphia to win the division as well at 6-1. to one. Certainly a good number for you there at plus 950. The New York Mets currently at 22-1. to one. To win the division. How about the Toronto Blue Jays? This has got to be the hottest team in baseball over the last three or four weeks. I think they've won 16 out of their last 20, and it was 16 out of 19, but they fell to the Minnesota Twins earlier this evening, and now the Toronto Blue Jays slip back in the wild card race in the American League, a half game back in the wild card, and the Yankees slip right in. They are now the second wild card choice in the American League. Uh, do the Yankees scare you? Do you think they're going to make the postseason dance? I don't know. I, you know, it's such a, a tough thing. I mean, Toronto has a game in hand. They're one back in the win column. So Toronto probably should be virtually tied here uh, with the Yankees when all is said and done, at least when they make up that game that's in hand. You know, the thing about Toronto is you wonder how they fare in this situation. You, know, you talk about the Cardinals and how well they're playing. I mean, this is an organization that they have high expectations. Every single year, year in and year out, they've got a lot of guys that know how to play in these types of atmospheres, in these kinds of environments. The Blue Jays don't. And, and it's tough when you're squandering opportunities against teams like the Twins, stuff like that. It's a very subjective point. It can't be quantified at all. But you do wonder about the Blue Jays here with such a young team, a lot of guys kind of in that playoff hunt for the first time. Is that something where maybe the moment winds up being a little bit too big for them? I don't know if that's going to be the case or not. Obviously, a very young, very good, very exciting team that will make a lot of noise over the next few years, but you wonder if they're able to seal the deal here this season. The Boston Red Sox have won three in a row, and they are in the wild card by half a game 
How about the Tampa Bay Rays? I, I wonder who you like. Some of the front runners here. We talked about the Milwaukee Brewers. You've got the Chicago White Sox way out in front in the AL Central. The Tampa Bay Rays with an eight and a half game lead over Boston. The Houston Astros. Tampa Bay just seems impenetrable. They they are really a steady team that kind of you know everybody's talking about the Dodgers and the Giants and the Braves and all the all the Rays do is just keep winning. Yeah, all the Rays do is win, and, and it's really impressive to watch a lot of the different things that they do. I mean, they've got relievers that throw from every different arm slot possible, so it's really hard to kind of pick up from you know their relief pitchers, even in a long series. That can be a little bit of a challenging thing come playoff time. They play different at home than they do on the road. They're a much more aggressive team offensively on the road. At home, they try to work some more counts, draw walks, kind of play into that lower scoring environment. It's just a brilliantly run organization, and Look, when you talk about the playoffs and you talk about the importance of advanced scouting and putting together game plans and reports on the opposition and all of that, Tampa Bay is really, really good at it. Very, very good at it. It's something that Houston did very effectively for a long period of time. Something that Houston will probably do effectively again this postseason. Those little nuances of the game that teams like Tampa Bay and Houston can take advantage of make them very, very dangerous and I think do position them well above the White Sox here as we get into the playoffs. Yeah, I'm not real high on the White Sox. Uh, I believe you may as well. I think we share a ticket on the Houston Astros to win the pennant. Is that we correct? Do. I have one for the World Series. World To win the World Series. Mm-hmm. 25 okay. to 1, I think. Now, are you worried about Tampa Bay? I mean, do, does Tampa Bay look like the team to beat in the American League to you? I, I think you could make a case it's either Tampa Bay or Houston. I think those two are very, very close, very, very even. Let's hope it's the Astros. Sounds good to me. All right, very good. We'll talk some Major League Baseball player awards coming back. It's getting that time of the year as well. AL Cy Young Award, NL Cy Young Award, some MVP awards. We'll do it next on the VEASAN Bet Center right here on the Sports Betting Network. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. Like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. 
Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. This is Beth Center on VSN, the sports betting network. Welcome back into the VSIN Bet Center. Brady Cannon and Adam Burke with you talking a little bit of baseball. And uh, I, I love this stuff this time of the year. I want to say there's about 14 or 15 games left in the regular season. Of course, it varies from team to team depending on where they have fell in the schedule and what games they have taken off when they've had to make up a doubleheader and that type of thing. But we're getting down to the wire here where they are going to hand out some awards for the regular season. And let's start with the MVP award. And we were just talking about this off air in the American League. And I I think this is a great topic that has developed this year in Major League Baseball. And that's Vlad Guerrero Jr. of the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, He's getting really close to winning the Triple Crown. I think it's he leads in batting averages and home runs. He had another home run on Friday night. And I think he's about in third or fourth place as far as RBIs. Uh, If he wins the Triple Crown, should he be the MVP of the American League or the amazing one himself, the show that is Shohei, Shohei Otani, who does it on the mound and at the plate, absolutely remarkable. Which one in your mind, Adam, deserves MVP if Vlad goes on to win the Triple Crown? To me, it's still Otani. I mean, the, the guy's a unicorn. You know, I mean, we, we have not seen this since the days of Babe Ruth in terms of a guy that can actually pitch and also hit 40 or 45 home runs. I mean, it's just, he's a remarkable talent. And I understand that the Angels aren't any good. I I fully get that. I fully understand that. Like, you and I were talking about it off air, Brady. It's most valuable player. Mm -hmm. It's not a team award. And I understand that for voters, they want a guy who gets his team to the playoffs, this and that. Where are the Angels without Otani this season? Because Mike Trout's been out since May. You know, where is this Angels team? And obviously, they're not a playoff team anyway. They're three games under 500 right now, but they might be 20 games under 500 without a guy like Otani. I think, in terms of most valuable player to his team, 
because of what Otani can do every five or six days on the mound, and then also be as productive of a hitter as he is, it has to be Otani. And this is a, a once in a generation kind of player. Maybe Vlad becomes one too, and I hope he does. But I mean, it's it's Otani for me, without a doubt. I like the way you put that, that what he can do for this team, not only every day, but also every fifth or sixth day. Uh, and, and that certainly goes to, you know, the definition of this award, most valuable. Um, Vlad Guerrero is, is obviously doing it to the tune of a possible triple crown here, and his team's been red hot, as I just spelled out in the last segment. I think it's 16 wins in their last 20 games for the Toronto Blue Jays as they've made this push into the wildcard race in the American League. But you know, that's really also been a team effort. If we're talking about an individual guy, it's Otani, and the books are agreeing. He's minus five, uh, minus 4,000 at DraftKings to win the AL MVP. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't want to take anything away from what Guerrero's doing. And obviously, you give him a ton of credit. I mean, last year, he squandered his power. He hit a ton of ground balls for no reason. Toronto worked on that. They worked on his launch angle. They worked on his swing plane. Really made him into a much, much more productive hitter. He also has George Springer and Marcus Semien mm-hmm. and Bo Bichette and so many of the other guys in that lineup that are really, really talented, very, very good players. But again, Otani is doing, and I guess the Triple Crown's historic if Guerrero does wind up getting it. But what Otani is doing, we've basically seen once in the history of baseball, mm-hmm. you know, at least in, in the, you know, since the, the 1900s. So to me, I think you have to give it to Otani just, just simply because of that. And I think the voters will get it right, and Vlad may get his down the line too. But I guess the one question I would have, Brady, is does this set a precedent of, look, Otani is this unicorn. He is this very unique player that we haven't seen in our lifetimes, most people haven't seen in their lifetimes. If he's healthy every year, in theory, you could just give him the award every year. Yeah. Because nobody else does this. Right, because nobody else does it. No, I I think, uh, you know, the Triple Crown is almost like a hallowed award in baseball and if somebody wins it you just automatically get the MVP and it seems like we kind of saw that years ago with Miguel Cabrera and I thought he was very deserving that year this year I think it's a very different story we and we have somebody that's doing something very very different in Shohei Otani let's look at the National League MVP race and I think this one is a lot less sexy Adam Uh, you know Fernando Tatis Jr. is the favorite Bryce Harper's right there Freddie Freeman you've got Max Muncy of the Dodgers and I don't think any one of these players is doing anything that's outlandish as far as their numbers now Tatis is able to hit the long ball his average is not as great Harper's been on a tear as of late I think maybe the most consistent guy of all is Freddie Freeman Max, uh, Max Muncy, it's kind of like Vlad Guerrero. The knock against him is he plays on a great team. He's got a lot of support. Um, I think Freddie Freeman has been remarkable, and he's done it without Acuna Jr. You know, he's really had to carry the load for that Atlanta Braves offense. I think you can also make the argument for Tatis Jr. of the Padres. We saw what happened when he went out of the, uh, out of the lineup with injury. That, bete- that team became awful pretty quickly. Right, yeah, and the thing for the Padres, too, is that when I mean, they've had so many pitching injuries you know their attrition on the pitching side has been very very high and here they still are in this wild card race due in large part to the performance of fernando tatis jr what i think is going to be really interesting to follow as we approach the end of the regular season here is are the voters swayed by recency bias because bryce harper is on an absolute tear over the last 30 days coming into tonight he's hit 11 home runs he's been worth over two f4 in that span, the only player in the National League to be worth over 2F war in that span. So the question then becomes, okay, he's been great lately. 
but do the Phillies have to make the playoffs? Because yeah. as we talked about, that team consideration is always there. For better or worse, it's always there. You know, do the Padres have to make the playoffs for Tatis to win it? I don't. I think a lot of the votes are going to be very, very split for the NL MVP voting. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. And and the four candidates I go over: Tatis at minus one seventy at DraftKings, Harper the second choice at plus two twenty, just a little better than two to one. Max Muncy at twelve to one. I mean, the number's big on Freddie Freeman. 25 to 1? I think he should be shorter than that. Juan Soto is also having a great campaign at 30 to 1, but the Washington Nationals, I think, are so far off the map. He's not really getting a lot of love. Trey Turner, uh, he, he's a, a mix in that incredible Dodger lineup. He's at 35 to 1. Um, for Harper to get the award, I think Philly may have to make the playoffs, and he, and he probably would win it if they did. Because you talk about that recent surge, if he's able to finish the job and get him the postseason, I think he's your champion. Right. Yeah, I think so, too. So, I mean, it's almost, and I haven't seen what the number is for this, but, you know, you could maybe get a better price at Philadelphia to make the playoffs or to win the division, something like that, instead of taking a Bryce Harper to win the MVP. Because, like you said, I think for Harper to win it, Philadelphia probably has to make the playoffs. So, you know, I don't know if they'll grab that second wild card spot or not, if they'll overtake the Braves or not. But that is, you know, it does seem like they're kind of a package deal. So if they don't make the playoffs and the Padres don't make the playoffs, I mean, do they give it to Freeman at that big number? Probably Muncie. Yeah, probably. Which, Which I, mean, I don't. He's what, I mean, he, obviously one? he's had a great, yeah, 12 to 1. But I think that's a great point that you bring up. Maybe a better bet is to bet the Phillies to win the division. And uh, we just went over that. It's plus three fifty. Wes Reynolds has them at six to one. You've got them at plus uh, better than nine to one. Uh, but currently at plus three fifty. Harper's MVP odds at plus two twenty. So uh, I, I don't disagree with you there. Maybe getting a little extra boost there on essentially kind of the same bet. If the Phillies do get there, Harper's absolutely going to be a big time candidate. Let's look at the uh, NL Cy Young Award winner here. And Max Scherzer, we talked about this guy earlier. He's going to be on the bump on Saturday for the last, uh, Los Angeles Dodgers, trying to go 7-0 and for his new team. I think he's at eight starts, and he's 6-0 and for the Dodgers. This guy, you talk about Otani uh, being uh, generational. What, what we're seeing Max Scherzer do, and I believe 36 years of age, he has had an absolutely remarkable season. His ERA with the Dodgers is under 1.88. He is the favorite to win the National League Cy Young Award at plus 120. Corbin Burns, a second choice that's not far behind at plus 140. And then it gets a little deeper after that. Scherzer's Dodger teammate, Walker Bueller at plus 350. Zach Wheeler, who had a great outing tonight against the Mets at 20 to 1. I don't know how you don't give it to Max Scherzer here. I mean, I think you have to. Unless he just gets blown up in his last two or three starts here, it has to be Scherzer. And and this is one of those scenarios, too, Brady, where I think it would have been really interesting to see, let's say Scherzer has a monster second half with the Nationals who are going nowhere. Yeah. You know, then what does his price look like? But because he gets that trade to the Dodgers, you know, and, and obviously he was having a great season regardless, but you know, now I think he's going to, you know, add a Cy Young here, another one. And this is a guy who's, he's a Hall of Famer. And, and oh, I don't think yeah. there's any question I about think it. I think, it he gets year. I think he might even be a first ballot guy, probably pretty clearly, too. His year, and I've always loved Max. I think I don't. I've never talked with anybody that doesn't love his competitive nature. I mean, you see him in an All Star game, and he's out there breathing fire like, oh, yeah. like a bull on them. And he started the All Star game as a representative of the, of the Washington Nationals this year. Right. 
Yeah, the guy's phenomenal. I mean, he's a workhorse, too. You know, he stayed very healthy for the most part, with the exception of that back issue that he had when they won the World Series. So, look, I mean, Scherzer's deserving. I don't think there's really a whole lot of drama with this one. Any uh, bet for you on the American League Cy Young Award winner, Garrett Cole, Robbie Ray, those are your top choices, Carlos Rodon? You know, I think it's going to be hard to give it to Garrett Cole because everybody saw how much different he was after the crackdown on foreign substances. So I don't know who it's going to be, but I think a lot of voters will shy away from Garrett Cole. I agree with you. All right, we get into NFL Player Awards next up on the VSIN Bet Center. Brady Cannon and Adam Burke with you here on a Friday night in Las Vegas on the Sports Betting Network. This is Beth Center on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. Make this football season your best sports betting season ever. Start your VSIN free trial today to get full access to our sports betting experts, including 24 7 video streaming. Daily best bet emails, betting splits with the money and ticket percentages on every game, plus full access to vsin.com data and analysis. You get everything vsin has to offer. For only $22 per month, sign up now at vcin.com slash subscribe. Welcome back to the vcin Bet Center. Brady Cannon and Adam Burke with you here at the Circa Resort and Casino. And a, a couple of award segments here. We went over a lot of the awards, the postseason awards in baseball. We're going to talk a little NFL awards now. And, of course, we're just headed into week two of the NFL season. And already there is discussion and movement in the markets for NFL awards. We'll start with the MVP award. How about the movement on Kyler Murray? <laughs> the odds makers and the betting public apparently very impressed with Kyler Murray's effort against the Tennessee Titans in week one. They went outright as an underdog on the on the road in Nashville. And, and I tell you, some of those plays where he is able to just move and juke and get out of trouble and then zoom, he's off the other... He really is incredible to watch, and I understand the infatuation with him. He's now down to 10-1 to 1 to win the MVP in the NFL. Patrick Mahomes remains the favorite at plus 550. Matthew Stafford, the second choice, at 8-1. to 1. And then Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, and Tom Brady, all at 10-1. to 1. Yeah, you know, the thing about Kyler Murray, I mean, as long as he keeps improving as a passer, those mobile quarterbacks are very, very hard to defend in the NFL. You know, you think about the guys that typically have success at quarterback. They're all guys with elite arm talent or just a really good IQ for the position. You know, Aaron Rodgers is pretty mobile, not as mobile as he used to be. Tom Brady can't move. You know, he just sprays it all over the field, has a lot of success. You think about kind of maybe a new age type of quarterback in a Kyler Murray. If he can become a better, more accurate passer, take away some of the bad decisions, you've got that running threat. You've got that ability to extend plays. This could truly be the breakout season for Kyler Murray. I expect him to be good this year. There were some signs uh, from what he did last year that I felt he would improve this year. I think, obviously, they play in the best division in football. I think all four of those teams in the NFC West are very good. And uh, the Arizona Cardinals are the underdog to win that division. But I think, uh, you know, they have a shot. I, I think, uh, again, those are four of the best teams in the NFL. And, and any one of them could really win that division. Uh, Kyler Murray... Uh, the, his ability to move and scramble outside of the pocket, I think he brings a thrilling element to the game. Patrick Mahomes, very similar, maybe maybe a stronger arm. I don't know. Kyler Murray was going to be a center fielder for the Oakland A's as well. Russell Wilson is the guy that seems to draw the short straw every year. Has never received an NFL MVP of MVP vote. 
And, of course, he started off with another great week and a win at Indianapolis last week. He's at 10-1. to 1. Uh, You know, I don't think it's a bad choice to just bet on Russell Wilson. I mean, if you bet on him for the last three or four years, you were looking really good until it didn't win. And maybe that's the same thing this year. But I think he's worth a play again. Yeah, I think that's fair. And it's funny, too, because the guy that I kind of picked out was from the same division there, that NFC West. And I think that there's a lot to be said about if the Rams win that division, you can give it to Matt Stafford. If the Cardinals win that division, or the uh, Seahawks, excuse me, you give it to Russell Wilson. Stafford's the guy I'm looking at because the Rams have no running game whatsoever. Yeah. So Stafford's going to have the opportunity to put up a ton of numbers. Similarly, with a guy like Kyler Murray, you know, maybe they don't win the division, but that's probably an Arizona team that's still going to trail a lot in the second half. He's still yes. going to have a lot of opportunities to put up numbers. That's really important. You know, you, you've got to think about some of these teams where if they're really good and they're going to win a lot of games, well, they're probably going to be running the football quite a bit in the second half. So that's going to hurt the quarterback from an MVP standpoint. I don't think that's an issue with the Rams. I don't think that's an issue with the Cardinals. And I also really don't think it's an issue with the Seahawks because they'll either play a lot of close games where you want the ball in Russ's hands or Russ is just going to do what Russ does. And at some point, you've got to think he gets rewarded for it. So I think the fact that we're very NFC West-centric here makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and you talk about Kyler Murray and being able to throw a lot of passes, possibly coming from behind late in the game. I think Arizona is going to be a really good team against poor defenses this year. And I think that showed up in Tennessee in week one. Uh, Let's take a look at the comeback player of the year market. And after his week one performance, Jameis Winston comes into the fray, as does Dak Prescott. That was incredibly impressive, I thought, on opening night, the Thursday night game with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Of course, there was questions about Dak Prescott coming back from the broken ankle. And then there was uh, soreness in his shoulder. And there was speculation if he was even going to be 100% for that game. Boy, did he look awesome. I I was really kind of more impressed with the Dallas Cowboys and Dak Prescott in that game than I was Tampa Bay, even though they lost. Yeah, you know, I think that when you look at Dak Prescott, something to keep in mind here, we talk about the need to be able to put up numbers. Mm -hmm. So since week five of the 2019 season, Dak Prescott has averaged 41 pass attempts per game. So Kellen Moore has kind of figured this thing out, and I think Mike McCarthy is kind of allowing him to do that. So not even just comeback player of the year for Dak Prescott, where he's in that plus 150, plus 175 range. At 14-1 to to win the MVP, Mm -hmm. I don't think that's that bad of an idea. The NFC East is wide open. Dallas could very well win it. And Prescott's going to throw a ton. So he'll have the numbers for comeback player of the year, not to mention the story. But I also think his MVP candidacy could be something to keep an eye on as well. Yeah, plus 175 to win comeback player of the year is Dak Prescott at DraftKings. Jameis Winston at plus 550. Joe Burrow at plus 650. Christian McCaffrey at plus 650. Saquon Barkley at 11 to 1. And Michael Thomas, the Saints wide receiver, at 12 to 1. Another name that jumped out at me here in this market, Adam, is Christian McCaffrey. Started off with a very good week one. Uh, I believe it was close to 200 yards in total from scrimmage. Had about 60 to 80 yards receiving, I believe, and maybe 120 on the ground, something like that. But uh, I think this guy is every every bit of a threat to Dak Prescott to possibly win that award and obviously has a juicier number at 6.5 to 1. Yeah, certainly a much, much better price. And, and also, too, I mean, with Joe Brady there, you know, that Carolina offense should be much, much better. And Sam Darnold actually looked pretty comfortable. I mean, I was very impressed with that Carolina offense in week one. 
I know they didn't necessarily have the point total that maybe we were looking for. I think well, 19 to 14 was the final score in that game. But McCaffrey's a giant weapon. The offense looks like a legitimate NFL offense now. And McCaffrey's going to get, what, probably 25 touches a game, if not more? Right, uh, through the ground and through the air. Yeah, so, I mean, again, you want to look at these award markets in terms of players that will have the sample size necessary to put up big numbers. And McCaffrey coming back from all the injuries last year, if he winds up having a monster season, maybe gets into that MVP discussion, who knows, then the price here for comeback player of the year absolutely looks good. What's going against him is the position he plays. Right. Running back. Uh, you have to figure a quarterback. A quarterback uh, drives all the awards as far as MVP, comeback player, what have you. Uh, but Christian McCaffrey certainly, I think, has the story to, to match Dak Prescott. We'll see if uh, he has the production as the year goes on. He's off to a good start. Both of them are so far. Uh, the Coach of the Year award market, and this was pretty cool. We did uh, Gil Alexander's Megapod uh, that he's been doing, I think he said, for 10 years now. Nobody had podcasts 10 years ago, did they? <laughs> but uh, Gil certainly did, uh, does his Megapod uh, each and every week in the NFL season, and I was able to lead off the coverage there as his guest in the first week. And, of course, the staples of the program, uh, Todd Wishnev and Mike Palm, and we were talking about Coach of the Year, and Mike brought up a great point about Sean Payton, who at the time was at 20-1. to 1. All the adversity that they've faced already with Hurricane Ida, and they didn't get to play at home. They had to play in Jacksonville. Who knows when they're going to be able to play in the Superdome. Drew Brees, the Hall of Famer, retires. He's got to, you know, fix Jameis Winston. If the Saints are really able to put together an incredible year this year, and now here's Sean Payton down to 11-1 to 1 after the Week 1 victory over Green Bay. You know, it makes a lot of sense. It was a very astute point by you guys. And look, also, too, I mean, this is a Saints team that lost, what, four starters on defense, I think, from, from last year's team? Yes. You know, they, yes. they wound up they have a really, ton of talent. Yeah, they, they wound up losing a lot of talent on defense as well. For Sean Payton, if he goes out there, and, and especially, too, if they're able to unseat Tampa Bay, you know, for that top spot there in that division, I don't know how you don't give it to Sean Payton. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with you. Sean McVay at 14 to 1 of the Rams, Vic Fangio at 16 to 1, Brian Flores off to a great start. I mean, this guy has proven to be a very good coach in his young career in the NFL, 16 to 1 for the Miami Dolphins. And, a, and one name that I threw out um, that's off to a good start so far, it's probably going to take a lot as a first year coach, but who knows? In charge of the Chargers, Brandon Staley coming over as the defensive coordinator of the Los Angeles Rams. A good victory there on the road as underdogs at Washington. This team looks like they can really go a long ways with Justin Herbert. I just love watching Herbert play. And uh, Staley at 10-1 to 1 is right now the short shot. Yeah, and I think it's really important to look at those first-year coaches, too. You think about Kevin Stefanski, for example, from yeah. last year. If you're able to take a team that is either middling or bad and take them up to a new level, that gives you a lot of a lot of weight in that coach of the year market. And Brandon Staley certainly has the opportunity for that. All right, next up, we talk NFL prop market. We'll see if we can make some money for you on NFL Sunday with a prop market discussion right here on the VEASAN Bet Center, the sports betting network. We'll be right back. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, 
We've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. Like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating Cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. This is Beth Center on VSIN, the sports betting network. Welcome back into the VSIN Bet Center. Brady Cannon and Adam Burke with you from the VSIN studios at the Circa Resort and Casino. Getting towards uh, Saturday here, even on the West Coast, Adam. 15 minutes away from Saturday 
on a Friday night in fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada, rolling through all kinds of stuff here. Talked to college football, previewed a bunch of the big games for Saturday, got into some of the baseball pennant races. Now we're on to the NFL, and we want to get into a couple prop markets that DraftKings has up that I think are kind of fun here. What will be the highest scoring game on Sunday and what will be the lowest scoring game on Sunday? And we'll tell you what we like in these markets. And first of all, the favorite is the Sunday night game between the Chiefs and the Ravens. The total in this game is 54 and a half. And it is plus 450, four and a half to one to be the highest scoring game in the NFL on Sunday. I wonder if this includes the Monday night or two. I imagine it's all the way through Monday uh, between the Lions and the Packers. So you might have to wait on your bet there if you chose uh, one of the Sunday games versus the Monday nighter. Uh, the second choice is the Cowboys at the Chargers, and they, that is at 5-1. to one. This game actually has the highest total on the board right now at 55. The Titans and the Seahawks at 6-1. to one. The Falcons at the Buccaneers at 8-1. to one. The Vikings at the Cardinals at 9-1, to 49ers at Eagles at 10-1, to all the way on down to the Rams at the Colts to be the highest scoring game of the day at 15-1. to Anything catch your eye there, Adam? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of the easy one to take the highest total on the board with that Cowboys <laughs> and Chargers game. But, as but I you're getting about, it at 5-1, to right? Yeah, I mean, as I talked about in the previous segment, Dak Prescott is throwing a ton. You know, averaging 41 pass attempts per game over his last 17 games. I would certainly expect that the Cowboys have a game plan to throw the football again here, you know, against the Chargers. And you know, look, you, we talked about Brandon Staley in, in the previous segment about you know possible coach of the year. We know Justin Herbert's a very, very good quarterback. I don't see a whole lot of stops in this game. We've seen a pretty big move up on the total for this one as well. So I know it's the highest total on the board. Maybe it's the easy choice to make here, but at five to one in this prop market, I don't see a lot of stops. I see a lot of pass attempts in this game too. Justin Herbert ought to be able to tear apart that Cowboys secondary. Now, it did improve a little bit in the offseason, but uh, Tom Brady was able to do it uh, on Thursday night, the opener of the season. And I agree with you, Dak Prescott. I mean, he looks so good against Tampa Bay. Uh, and, and the Chargers defense, you know, and Staley, of course, is, de- is a defensive guy. Uh, they, uh, you could argue, maybe have a better pass rush than Tampa Bay. I don't know, but they're certainly... You know, very close. We'll see what kind of defensive effort the Chargers are able to put forth against Dak and Zeke Elliott and company. The Cowboys also smarting on that offensive line. They lose Lael Collins. Now Zach Martin is back in the lineup for them. Demarcus Lawrence, their pass rusher, he's going to be out a while with a broken foot. Maybe that lends, uh, you know, more possible points for the Chargers on offense. We will see. But that is, again, currently the highest total on the board at 55 and the second choice here in the market at 5-1. to one. The one I like, uh, Adam, is the Vikings at the Cardinals. We saw the Vikings put up 24 points on the road in Cincinnati in Week 1, and we saw all the points the Vikings put on the board last year. Kirk Cousins was able to sling it around the, ro- uh, around the yard. Dalvin Cook was one, uh, able to run up and down the field. And the Cardinals' defense really came out looking good against Tennessee last week. But I don't know if that is also a little bit of a product of Tennessee really having a bad game, missing Arthur Smith, being set up to have a down year this year. I don't know if the Cardinal defense is truly a lead. I don't think they are, and I think their secondary is a little bit weak as well. So I think the Vikings will have some success there, and and we saw what Kyler Murray did. 
And is the Viking defense ever going to get healthy? Because they really didn't against Cincinnati. I think you could have a, you could have a lot of points in this game. The total's at 50 and a half, and it's 9-1 to one to be the highest scoring game of the day. Yeah, I like this one. I think this is a good call by you. And, and also, too, we talked about the difficulties that come along with trying to defend a quarterback like Kyler Murray yeah. that can extend plays, that can do a lot of different things. And, you know, we know that when Arizona's offense is on the field, they've got a good chance to score points. That's definitely something that we've seen. And also, Kirk Cousins, I mean, he's maddening to bet on. He's just <laughs> frustrating to bet on. But he plays poorly against good defenses and plays pretty well against bad defenses. And as you said, I don't know if Arizona's defense is good, bad, somewhere in between. But this does profile as the type of game where Kirk Cousins probably isn't going to hurt you as much as he would in other games, has plenty of weapons, as we know. As you said, I think 9-1 to one is, is pretty good value on this one. The last one I'll throw at you here, and it's a 15 to 1 price, and I just talked about it. The Rams can't run the football, so it's going to be the Matt Stafford show in most of their games. The Colts do have a very good, very talented defense, but I could see that being a game where it winds up being a little bit more higher scoring than what the market has right now at 48 and a half. Maybe the Colts kind of figure some things out offensively. The Rams are, you know, very solid in the secondary. They're a stars and scrubs kind of defense, but Maybe that's a game that winds up having a good number of points in it. Well, the Colts did not look too good in the secondary no, against Russell Wilson and company, so they're going to have to shore that up if they want to keep some points off the board for Matthew Stafford and the Rams. But 15-1, uh, to 1, certainly a long shot. That is uh, not the lowest total in the market either. You've got a 47 there between the Raiders and the Steelers. The Rams and the Colts, their total is currently at 48. Let's get to the lowest scoring game on Sunday and now it looks like this market is spelled out so it does not include the Monday night game I'm going to assume lowest scoring game on Sunday in the NFL and these are courtesy of our friends at DraftKings the Patriots at the Jets is the favorite and uh, I don't disagree with that 43 is the total there that's at four and a half to one to be the lowest scoring game the Saints at the Panthers their total is 44.5. That's at 5.5 to 1. The Bengals at the Bears. The Broncos at the Jaguars. The Rams at the Colts at 9 to 1. The Texans at the Browns at 10 to 1. The Bills at the Dolphins at 11 to 1. And then my Vikings and Cardinals, they're the longest shot at 16 to 1 to be the lowest scoring game of the day. Yes, yeah, I look at this one, and this is a play I've already made for this week on the under 48 in the Texans and Browns game. It wouldn't shock me at all if this winds up being a 24-7, to 21-7 type of game here for Cleveland, where last week, Kevin Stefanski was very, very aggressive. Went for two fourth downs in the first quarter, decided three points wasn't good enough, I'm going to go for seven. Certainly can't blame him for that against the Chiefs. I wouldn't expect the same type of aggression, the same type of game plan from the Browns here this week. Taking on a Texans team that, look, they took advantage of Jacksonville, where Jacksonville has a lot of turmoil going on. They have a lot of issues going on. Houston was 12 for 21 on third down in that game. That's not going to happen again. Houston's offense is, is not that good. I'm not impressed with them. I know what Tyrod Taylor is capable of. The best thing you can say about him is he takes care of the football. Mm -hmm. You know, I look at this game, and, and I think that you know, not only do I think it stays pretty comfortably under the total, it could wind up being the lowest scoring game, where the Browns in the second half will run the football, We'll go ahead and let that clock run. You know, and, and also, they're in a big favorite role here, too. And I think that's important to take a look at the game state. You know, Will it be a close game throughout? Maybe you get some more points in close games. In games that could have some lopsided scores in the second half, 
those are ones where you may kind of have that running clock where the better team kind of flexes its offensive muscle by running the football and running out the clock. I tell you what, I'm starting to buy what you're selling there. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, and you're obviously from Cleveland. You know this Browns team very well. Um, you kind of answered my question a little bit, but what, what do you expect out of this game? Do you, do you really think, uh, and I know you've made a play on a, on a teaser where you tease the Browns down to six and a half under that key number of seven. I think that certainly makes sense. I actually made the number in this game 14 and a half, and I'm still considering maybe betting the Browns at 12 and a half. It's just so hard to lay such a big number like that, but really, how do you see this game unfolding? And I, I'm with you. I don't think Houston's very good at all. I think it makes sense that this could be 26 to 7. You know, I also think that this is one of those spots, and, and man, I love Kevin Stefanski. He's just, it's so nice to have a smart offensive mind that knows what he's doing, can communicate the game plan to the players and all of that. It's one of those situations to me where you don't open up the playbook. You know, you go with your plays that you know are going to be effective, you know, five, five and a half yards per play. You don't show anything that can give other teams film on you because mm -hmm. you shouldn't have to do it in a game like this. I don't know that every coach has that in his repertoire to hold those things back, but I think that Kevin Stefanski does. So I wouldn't expect a whole lot of vertical stuff, not much trickery in this game. I think it's just going to be Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. We're going to give you the ball 35, 40 times, win us the game. Who both, by the way, ran for 100 yards or better than 100 yards apiece the last time they faced the Houston Texans. So uh, I, I think you make a really good point there. And maybe if you want to get involved in that market, the Browns and the Texans to be the lowest scoring game of the day is not a bad bat. That is seven to one. And the total in that game is 45. So the odds makers setting a fairly low total in that game already. Uh, I think my favorite choice here was the Bills at the Dolphins at 11 to one. Uh, we saw the Miami Dolphins put 17 points on the board last week. Uh, we saw the Buffalo Bills get held down by the Pittsburgh Steelers defense last week. It feels to me like this game will also kind of be slower moving and it's not going to be fireworks across the scoreboard. So that's at 11 to 1, the total in that game at 47 and a half. We'll come back for hour number three next on the VEASAN Bet Center. You may know Jackson Pollock, the painter famous for his iconic drip paintings. But what do you know about his wife, artist Lee Krasner? On Death of an Artist, Krasner and Pollock, the story of the artist who reset the market for American abstract painting, just maybe not the one you're thinking of. Listen to Death of an Artist, Krasner and Pollock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. 
So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.